please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org radio. And this week, Jesse and I have got a variety of different topics to talk about. And one of the first things we'd like to, to address is the shooting that happened on air this week up in Virginia. I know that you've been watching this particularly, Jesse. Well, I've been watching it because it's kind of home up there. You know, my dad lives up there. And uh, where that shooting actually occurred is a place that I frequented a few times in my life. Uh, the, that Bridgewater Plaza right there is, is right there at Hales Ford Bridge at uh, Smith Mountain Lake. So what is Bridgewater Plaza? Um, it's it's a shopping center that's in Manita, Virginia. And it's um, got a lot of local businesses in it. And it's got like an art gallery there and, and people, like boutique stores and that kind of thing. Do you know what the story they were covering was? Something about the Chamber of Commerce, because the lady they were interviewing is in critical condition in um, ICU, mm-hmm. and she was one of the heads of Chamber of Commerce for that area. So it's very sad, and my condolences go to the families. W- what exactly happened? Um, a gentleman who worked at the, the TV station, which would be WDBJ7, Roanoke, Virginia's CBS affiliate, um, walked in. He worked there and had been obviously sexually harassing the young woman that was killed. And the the young man that was killed went to HR on him. And after that, and then a few um, anger outbursts at work, his job was terminated. And he basically videotaped the deaths of these people as he was shooting them. Not to mention it was being recorded because he shot them live on air. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody that was watching the news at that moment got to see. It was hard to make out exactly what was happening, but you could hear the gunshots. I remember the anchor saying, well, not real sure what happened there. But we'll update you as soon as we know what those sounds were, is what she said. I mean, it was kind of that moment where, did that just happen? Do we Did what we think happened happened? Yeah. And it sure did. Um, but... They chased the the suspect uh, all the way up to almost Washington, D.C. before they caught him. Mm-hmm. And they only caught up with him when he attempted suicide So this is and another, ended up later dying at the hospital. Another example where, where more background checks would have saved lives, right? I don't, I don't think this guy had anything in his background. I think that he was just a little bit crazy. And how, how's a background check going to pick up on somebody being crazy? Well, you know, he hadn't really exhibited anything up to that point that showed murderous intent. So, no, I mean, just it was, anger issues. It was that he had been pushed past his limit and he took his own actions. And, I mean, it was a deliberate choice. And this is not something that, you know, is caused by a mental instability. It's caused by someone making a deliberate choice that they're going to seek revenge. And that, that happens... In my experience, almost all murders come from a deliberate plot to seek revenge or to exact justice upon somebody else. And that's what motivates somebody to be willing to take another life. You from have my to, best recollection, that is a gun-free zone over there. Okay. So he really shouldn't have had the gun there in the first place. I want to say that the the property, it's not like 
estate gun free zone it's like the, the people that own the property say they don't want guns there which is just as good as law in virginia because if, if virginia a pro- property owner says that you can't bring the gun there then you can't bring the gun there it's not like there's a criminal penalty for disobeying the private property owner there's a there is a criminal penalty for disobeying the property prop, private property under there i believe okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure at least there used to be you know we we think about what motivates a murder and my experience has been that human beings typically don't kill each other. I mean, you can't get six billion people on the planet if we are homicidal enough that we're killing more people than we produce, right? So, well, I mean, if you look at it, it's actually a pretty small percentage of the human beings on Earth that do something like this and end up in prison. If you took all of all of the people that have committed a, a, a murderous gun crime, and well, let's let's <laughs> open it up. Let's let's go past murderous gun crimes to let's say. You know, genocide, war crimes, and even broader, just deaths in war. And you you still, even with all of the wars combined, we produce more people than we kill. Even even in, in the largest extreme, then you throw in accidents and everything else that causes someone to die prematurely before the you know their time. And again, we're producing way more people than than are killed. So we are very prodigious, and we don't tend to kill other human beings by and large. It's just is part of what makes us human. Now, the people who do otherwise are aberrations. And then we get into the, the discussion of what do you do with the aberrations? And the aberrations, why are they aberrations? Why are they willing to take another person's life? Well, typically, it's because there's this sense of injustice. And I think that that is a predominant thing. You see, you know, cheating spouses get killed. You see people... People who are business partners kill each other. You see people who have been jilted or people who have had their lives some way undermined or undercut by someone else. Well, didn't you once tell me that some of the most vicious murders you've ever seen were gay couples? They're in my line of work, I, I you know there's nothing against gay people at all, but there just seems to be a maxim that if you find a murder that is beyond the pale, out of character for its its viciousness or the amount of shall I say, gore involved, that you can pretty much put money that there's a, a gay or lesbian relationship at the core of that that led that went out of control. Is not this the same with all crimes of passion? It's not. And it really, I mean, it really isn't. You see crimes of passion where there is... There is gratuitous violence, yes, but never quite to that degree. It just seems to be out of context. And it's not something that I think the criminal defense bar prosecutors or or police officers generally talk about out in the open because it seems like you're biased or prejudiced in some way. But it's just the truth that if it is really beyond the pale, you know, you find someone who was shot 10 times in the back. That could be anybody. You find someone who is hit over the head with a two-pound sledgehammer 47 times, leaving blood splatter not only on all four walls but the ceiling. Typically, it tends to be some sort of a crime of passion leading from a homosexual relationship that ended very badly. Oh, and, and see, I almost said you got Lizzie Borden. But um, that was an axe. You know, the, it just seems like that is, is atypical. And I've had discussions with other people in the field before about why is this? I mean, there there's lots of different theories, and most of them come down to that they're, because there's such social stigma about a homosexual relationship, it's much harder to find potential partners. It has a higher investment cost. So the trauma of having that investment cost undercut is even greater, even if it's a shorter term relationship than it would be for somebody else. I mean, 
we talk about there being plenty of fish in the sea, right? But when you're when you're a gay man or you're a lesbian woman trying to find another person and you've already invested a year or five years in a relationship, it's very hard to find someone else who can make that kind of commitment and come back out of it. And the level of attachment seems to be greater, too. So there's a lot of different factors which seems to lead to them when it goes bad, they're going really bad. Well, I see a person in, in this instance who had some rejection issues. Mm-hmm. He was rejected by her, then he was rejected by the workplace and he couldn't deal with that rejection and 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 lashed out well then we got to ask what makes people not lash out in general and if you have something to live for that really under you know that that's what keeps people going well i would say there's two things if you if you've got something to lose that would be the biggest thing is if you go well you know if i go and kill her then I'll, i'll never get to see my kids again i'll end up in prison well, you see, that's the that's what I'm going to try to argue against is that the end up in prison doesn't cross their mind. The kids do. Well, I mean, if they've got kids that they don't want to see them in prison, that's when it crosses their mind. Yeah. Then I don't want my kids to have to come visit me in prison. That's when it crosses their mind. But then there comes a point where that doesn't even matter, and it's like oh, my life is so sucky. I just don't have anything else to lose. I can do whatever I want and get by with it. Mm-hmm. And that's when we get people like Adam. Like, I don't think not Adam Lanza. Um, the guy that shot out in um, the theater the uh, aurora colorado shooting colorado this guy a a lot of them are just very sick and twisted a little mentally disturbed and don't have anything to live for and so you know if we had if we kind of bolstered people's lives in such a way that they have things to live for then that negates some of this issue and i think that's a better way of going about it than slapping on more and more laws and restrictions that they just don't care about so how are we supposed to babysit the mentally ill public and well say, the the truly mentally ill the ones who have no moral compass and i don't think that this guy from virginia had no moral compass i think that he just finally had had no longer snapped. cared he, it's no kind of like cared. the post office guy what was that guy's name that shot up the post office in 1986 he got to the point where he just didn't care anymore and he snapped he carried a gun into the post office and killed a bunch of people mm-hmm. wasn't that in ohio i might be wrong seems like it was cleveland it, it could have been but you know that the laws the laws we stack on don't change that and if it's true mental illness then they need to be institutionalized if it is a lack of connection to society and a lack of feeling cared for and cared about that's something that we all have a part in to be able to reach out to people and, and to see how it works we become so self absorbed in our daily lives and we see ourselves as being wronged so often by other people that we take revenge on them in our ways which may have greater consequences and at what point does that person who is is you know being avenged upon you know the one you say that he was sexually harassing the reporter and if if that's true that's horrible but on top of that if you don't reach out to him if you don't try to keep him grounded then something like this comes from it it's a scary prospect we're, it, we're, it is a pretty scary prospect and the scary prospect is this could happen in any of our workplaces not just like out in the field at bridgewater plaza but it can happen Ed to the gas station attendant that it's work. Or well, the Bridge, Bridgewater Plaza is hardly a war zone to begin with. Folks, we're up to a commercial break, so we'll be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. 
Welcome back, everybody. Uh, during our commercial break, we did a little bit of research, and our crack team of investigators said that the post office shooting was actually in Anniston, Alabama, home of the CMP, where if you are a... Um, if you have a Georgia carry permit or some other evidence that you have uh, some training with firearms and Georgia carry permits do uh, qualify, then you can go over to the CMP and pick yourself up an M1 Grand for cheap, get yourself some ammo, uh, some twenty two training rifles. It's a fantastic way to get cheap surplus firearms. This sounds like a cheap date. Why have you not taken me here? <laughs> it's a little bit of a drive. Even Aniston? For, yeah. It's not that bad. Yeah, it's like three hour, and a half hours. Hour and a half each way, yeah. Yeah, that's so. not that bad. Well, We've driven further than that for apples. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, anyway, um, so yeah, the the post office shooting was in Alabama and in Anniston, and not to besmirch the good people of Ohio and all that they do there. Oh, there's plenty of, I mean, we have the the Cleveland kidnapper in, in Ohio. Everybody's got their, their share of, of dark stories in the closet, don't they? Yeah. So, you know, we were saying when we went to the break that, the, this could happen anywhere. This is a workplace violence. You know, it can happen anywhere, whether you're in the the Bridgeport Mall or whether you're at Fort Hood. You know, random workplace violence, right? Random workplace violence and sometimes racial killings and... Sometimes terrorist attacks. Terrorist attacks, depending on where you work and, and what you do. I'm hoping that those terrorist attacks never hit the Oak Ridge facility because that's a little too close to here. Yeah, for sure. But... um it scares me to think that I could go to work and, and get shot. And, and this has hit kind of close to home for me before. Um, luckily, I wasn't working there at the time. I was working for another one. But FedEx in Kennesaw had a shooting just what may have last year. In Kennesaw. In Kennesaw, yeah. Yeah, like Hobbytown, Hobby USA. Hobbytown, USA, yeah. So anyway, when you really look at it, the workplace violence can happen in your back door or it can happen at a facility that's next door to the facility you're working at Mm -hmm. and that's nothing new to kennesaw there was a shooting at the u-haul there about four years ago that was uh involved several people getting shot and someone who was just came in and opened fire on them so i mean this is something that does happen it's very very rare I mean, per capita is very rare. You're much more danger endangered by driving your car than having to worry about any kind of workplace shooting. But it's also something that's very preventable, like wearing a seatbelt or, or buying a car that has airbags. Or how's workplace violence preventable? Well, With hiring people? Well, no, you just Take prepare. Take to work. You prepare <laughs> you. yourself. Yeah. And see, that's the issue is a lot of these places that have had workplace violence go, you know, we're going to put up the no gun signs now because apparently nobody understood that this was a no firearms facility and they came in with a gun. How about we just put up signs that say no murders? No murders. That's going to work. I think that it'd be just as effective and it we wouldn't could, We could put anger free zone and that may help. Mm-hmm. And then we can all hold hands and sing Kumbaya, Kumbaya my Lord. Yeah. There we go. The the problem is is that we're not the people who are determined to take a life. We're not going to stop them through legislation. We're not going to stop them through more restrictions. We may be able to stop them by instead of pushing them further and further away, reaching out to them and being kind to them. Well, there's you know there's plenty of laws out there that and it doesn't stop the crime. I mean, there's laws against speeding, but you still see the guy pass you doing a hundred miles an hour. And there's always going to be those instances. But I think that a lot of these instances of violence could be prevented through, you know, outreach programs that we could do on our own 
to be more kind to people, to be more involved in their lives and make them feel like they have friends and are grounded in a community. Well, the reality is when we start treating people like they matter instead of like their their pawns to be bargained with, then maybe things like this will stop happening because the reality is people do these things when they feel like they have no other choice. Look at the Columbine shooters. I mean, again, those kids were tormented, at socially school. ostracized, socially segregated. You've got this guy in Virginia who lost his job, social ostracization, maybe deservedly. I don't know. But whether it's deserved or not, it pushed him to a place where he felt justified in doing a horrendous act, which is against human nature. And that was the point I was trying to bring out in the first segment is that human beings typically don't kill other human beings. And it's not it's not something that has any necessarily religious basis. I mean, it's, it's universal to the human condition that we value other human lives. What makes us different from most other other animals is the ability to express empathy and sympathy that we can care about other people and i think that's a touch of the divine but whatever you look at it as it's intrinsic to human nature and something happens to an individual to take that away from them to the ability to express sympathy or empathy or even express normal emotions so when a person is has been abused and, and treated badly sometimes all they have left is that anger and so these are the people we should be reaching out to. And trying to to have a discourse with them and keep them grounded because otherwise this can happen. And, you know, I'm not trying to blame the victims here because they did what they thought was right. But in the end, sometimes your rights end up with another person feeling so alone in the world that they don't feel there's any other recourse. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play um, victim's advocate here and say... This woman deserved to be able to come to her job without being sexually harassed by a pervert. And what should have happened at that moment, and I believe this is true in most sexual harassment cases, is instead of just terminating a person over that, or if they notice somebody with anger management issues at, at work to terminate them, I think it's a, an employer's jo- job to try to get somebody like that help. And I think the employer here should be a little bit liable for the deaths of these people, seeing as how all they felt like too, they could do was fire him instead of saying, you know, we have a great therapist on staff, and maybe you should go talk to him and giving him that opportunity before he continued and continued and continued to the point of termination. You know, that's an interesting idea because I think that that's the default position of all employers is that if there's any kind of emotional or mental problem discovered in their work environment to quickly terminate that person and then they feel that they're absolved from liability. If we held them accountable for actions taken post-termination, the results of that termination, maybe they would see this as something that they had a a real investment in rather than just something that they could dump off on a doorstep. And the reality is if if they're, I'm not saying that it would have changed things, but it could have changed things if they had said, look, you know, you've got some anger issues. We've got this great therapist and and it's a perk of working here that you'll pay, that we'll pay for it for free. I mean, for real, how much stuff do these people see? This yeah. is another one of these jobs. It's like 911 operator. It's a pretty high stress job. They go in and they see crime scenes. They get to watch buildings burn down. They, they get to be in harm's way. I mean, think about the, the news reporters at 9-11. They were running from buildings that were collapsing. This is they a can, stressful job. And maybe that there should be another way for them to handle this with the employees other than just, oh, you're stressed and angry. You're fired. She can tell you about the plane crash with a gleam in her eye. 
it's interesting when people die, right? Anyway, you know, I I understand exactly the point you're getting at. When when I was a prosecutor, okay, try this. The state of Alaska gives free counseling to jurors when they have to sit through an emotionally trying case. Oh, so really? How much I'll, free counseling did you get? They they the judge would tell every juror when they finished the rape case that if they felt that they needed to talk to somebody that free counseling would be provided for them and that they could take some time off of work to deal with the stress of having dealt with this and then turn to me and say you know you've got another one of these starting on on mondays friday afternoon so get ready for it mr king and off i'd go Jeez. and i would do dozens dozens in a row and now i know why you're all messed up (laughs) (laughs) yeah well you know there there's a there's a difference between the people who are professionals and the people who are laymen and what's expected of them and the journalistic professionals get all this sort of garbage laid at their feet all the time and there's not much thought given to it prosecutors not much thought given to it no thought given to defense attorneys ever anywhere in any state i mean they just don't matter you remember a few months ago there was cnn anchors that ended up defending their own lives with firearms and then there's a whole thing oh there's work for cnn but they believe in defending themselves what hypocrites blah 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 i heard that well here's these anchors that could they have stopped it if they had been armed maybe maybe not they may have got him in return and stopped what ended up being a police pursuit yeah you know it's interesting i don't know that in the situation that they were in with the kind of condition that they were in and we talk about you know whether you're in condition green or condition yellow or condition red you know situational awareness patterns and how what your state of alert is doing that being on a, a fairly benign location i don't know what your reaction time would be especially when you're interviewing someone else and your mind and focus is on somebody else getting the drop on someone like that would be very hard to have any kind of response time i think and i I think that that's true but if you watch the videos and unfortunately i'm going to admit that i have a, a twisted personality and i had to look at the video that he posted he stood there with a long for a long time without firing that gun and I'm talking there's maybe 45 seconds of him standing there just aiming that gun at them. Mm-hmm. And neither one of them knew it. Nor the cameraman nor the anchor knew that he was there and, and were interviewing. How did they not notice him standing there? People don't notice anything, Jesse. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've walked open carried and people have not even known I had a gun. And I'll be talking no, to them about Georgia carried. They're like, oh, you have a carried. gun. It's about had a gun pointed at you. It, people are blind to what's going on around them. Folks, we're up to another commercial break, so we'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. When we took our commercial break, we were talking really about how people can be oblivious to the world around them, what's going on. And Jesse had said that the gunman had stood there for uh, like 20 seconds with the gun pointed at the two, the reporter and the cameraman, and nobody noticed that he was just standing there pointing a gun at somebody. And I think that that happened, not maybe that, but that happens a lot more than we realize that people are just, they see what they are used to seeing. And that's actually a part of the human brain. We, we see so much. There's so much data that's coming into our mind at all the time that our mind makes shortcuts 
and glosses over things so that we can process it and deal with other things going on. And we fill in the blanks with our memory that our mind makes up. So you're saying the brain processes what's the most important stuff to process in that scenario? If you ask me, their brain skipped over the guy with a gun. I'm yeah, just saying. Well, well, you know, and the other thing is, is our brain does focuses in on violence. If there's a violent act that's happening, if you're passive, if you're still, your brain glosses over it a lot more than something that's in motion. And the reason is, is just to survive with, with you know, an evolutionary tactic. If you are not paying attention to the things that are moving around you, you're much more likely to die. So things that are still or moving slowly or calm, your brain is much more likely to gloss over in your mind. Well, I'm, I think that she she was also probably not paying too much attention. I'm sure that they get crowds around looking All the at time. yeah. But at that time of morning in that location, there's not very many people. So for there to be someone standing around, I, I'm automatically the person that's looking to see who's around me anyway. I don't trust people. <laughs> so. Well, when you're when you're doing your job, when you're busy, and when you're focused, you are. And well, I'll tell you what, we we're gonna have some points here with this radio station where we're on location reporting on something. I will never wear heels because I saw what happened when this girl tried to run, run. in her heels. Yeah, I'll, she couldn't get away. That was something that came up with me. I, I used to always wear combat boots to court, and once I had a judge ask me why I wore combat boots, I said, well, you know, you can't kick a prosecutor butt in loafers. But the, the, the truth is is that um, most of the, the nice dress shoes that I saw had uh, leather bottoms, and I didn't think that I could get good traction and be able to run if I needed to. Well, I mean, when you were a young lawyer and, like, right new, fresh lawyer, Something happened in your early legal career across the street at the Fulton County Courthouse, yeah, didn't it? I was there for the, when the judge was shot right off his own bench and the, the court clerk was shot in Fulton County. I was down there across the street from the courthouse and the helicopters were going overhead and the sirens and I was left standing on a street corner and I had been in court, which meant that I didn't have a gun and I was just down there waiting for a ride to pick me up. That The ride wasn't coming because they were closing down all of downtown. And what happens here, this creates a paradigm. I guess. And the paradigm is, if you're going to court, you better wear some running shoes. Yeah. And now, it's if you're on location recording, you better wear some running shoes and have a firearm handy. If you if you can't defend yourself, at least be able to run away. And I, I mean, we're, we dress in such a way that when we go to professional things, you know, women wear tight skirts and they wear high heels and they're really out of luck if they have to do anything physical um i'm real good about being able to to get moving in some shoes that was until i sprained my ankle but i I can't imagine ever trying to run in in some of the shoes the ladies wear today on real pointy toes and that's not exactly the well, this, it's not it's not tactically sound, and we we talk sometimes about you know what gun is more concealable or, or easier to carry. But in the end, but meanwhile, we're wearing shoes we couldn't run in. I mean, you, you, the gun's supposed to be comforting, not comfortable, and so is you know some of these decisions that we make in our dress. We have to dress in such a way that we can respond to an emergency situation, and that may be you know a gunman, but it more likely is a fire, a car accident, you know, or even a, a busted pipe spraying water everywhere are you going to slip and fall and break your hip trying to get away from the broken water in the building this is where we move from situational awareness to situational preparedness 
and there's a spot right between there where you, you have to kind of cross over and say okay now i'm aware of all of my surroundings but what if this happens what if this happens what if this happens and there are little ways you can be prepared for certain things like am i wearing shoes that both look good and i could run in and yes they make those mm-hmm. am i in clothes that i could move in if there was an emergency or i had to help save somebody's life or i had to save my own and it's very important to to think about these things daily i guess i'm paranoid (laughs) well i don't think it's paranoia because there are things that happen all the time and if you have if you're consumed by it if you spend all your waking time thinking about it then yes you've you've got a problem just go ahead and dig yourself a bunker in the backyard (laughs) but if if you have just you know the wherewithal to realize that there are a whole bunch of different things that could happen and you make reasonable efforts to handle a broad spectrum of them because, like, wearing good shoes is not only good for your feet health-wise, but it is good for an emergency situation. Not just a emergency situation, but most, a, most emergency situation. It's also, you know, carry a first aid kit in your yeah, car. Yeah, just a basic first aid kit. You don't you have never to know have when your kid's going to, like, get a splinter and you're going to need that pair of tweezers on the road to pull that splinter out. Or a bandage. A bandage or, or, or something some gauze or, or something the mouth-to-mouth bleeding. cover or whatever. You know, you never know when you could need these items. And if you make a habit of keeping that in your glove box and you just don't have to worry about it, it's there. Haven't they done away with the mouth-to-mouth part of CPR? Isn't it now just the chest compressions to get the oxygen moving? Not that I'm aware of. That's what I had heard a while back is that they had totally given up on it. It was just about doing the chest compressions to move the air with the lungs. And I don't think that that's going to do much if that's the case. Not that I'm aware of. I mean, the the most recent stuff I've looked at is compressions and breaths compressions and breaths so i may not have up-to-date information well you're more versed in it than i was but i i just remember hearing that a while back i thought well, I mean, well, if they've made that change in the last year and a half it's that, really i thought it was a great idea because you know i wasn't going to do that for anybody anyway <laughs> i've done it i've no, done you've it on, had you've had the opportunity on several occasions because you were uh, ems volunteer i was i was not an emt i was first responder and I was very young, and it was not a fun time, but it makes you realize that there are emergencies where you could use that pair of scissors in your car. Mm-hmm. Or, or a... Fire a, extinguisher. Yeah, or the knife to cut the, the, the seatbelt off with. You know, we heard about the kid that got pro- prosecuted for the knife. If yeah. he, he would have just had a pair of poultry scissors in his car... Wouldn't they get them for having two knives then? The no. Two knives that They're articulate. scissors. You're allowed to have scissors at school. So he, What about the, the knives where you can twist and take the two blades apart? Is it still a knife? Or is it still a scissors? Is it a knife then? You know, the type like that click on? No, and what are those things they carry for kung fu? Yeah. Everybody was. Anyway. Kung fu fighting? No. So, <laughs> there, there are a lot of aspects of how to be better aware of what's going on and how to be ready you know in the end the victims are not to blame for the acts of a perpetrator and neither is society he made a choice of his own choice to do what he was going to do and and he bears the full blame and responsibility for that but we you know we are constantly barraged with well if we just had more gun laws if we just had more background checks if we just had more this or more that then this could be prevented and we should do whatever we can to prevent this sort of thing well you know what's really going to prevent it is reaching out to people so they don't feel like they have nothing to live for then that will prevent these kind of crimes and it has nothing to do with infringing on liberty which all of the other solutions seem to be and I don't think that it's about preventing crime I think it's about taking liberty because if they wanted to prevent crime the easiest way to do it is to actually reach out to people 
and help them. Right. Well, I mean, when we're <laughs> offering more um, opportunities for people to get the mental health help that they need, those were crime preventative things. Now it's it's about running them through the mill, making money off of their prosecutions. Well, there, there's no money to be made on prosecution. There is poor on people. tickets. Yeah, but and citations and but the crazy people don't pay them. And that's the problem. So there's no money to be made there. It's a drain on society. But what so we've then done they is take we've them, and they put them in prison, and they use them for whatever prison industry they're going to use them for to make money for, like an orange just new black with making underwear. Most of them that have real problems and are in the prison system are not capable of dealing with the the high environment of a work area in prison. So what ends up happening is we've said, well, we don't want to pay for mental institutions we've already paid for the prisons the beds are there the guards are there let's just stick them there because it's cheaper it's not about making money it's about not spending money but money needs to be spent because they don't deserve to be in prison they don't deserve to be abused by other prisoners or abused by prison guards they need to be someplace where they can be safe and safeguarded and we are not willing to make those kind of expenditures as a society we can have a a trillion dollar baseball stadium but we won't spend a third of that money on mental health and the reality is a lot of places have shut down their mental health help in areas. Um, I know that the county I lived in, North Carolina, used to have a pretty good mental health program in that area. And then one day they just kind of removed all the furniture and it was gone. Mm-hmm. They didn't even tell the patients where they were going. Maybe the patients didn't notice. They're still wandering the halls. Oh, like Hotel California, you can check out, but you can never leave. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, I mean, it's it's very important that people that have these issues have somewhere to go to get that help. And while we're trying to fund anti-gun this and anti-gun that, why don't they fund some real help for these people? I, Instead I, of paying welfare for all these people, why don't they fund the help to get them on their feet so they can work a job i i go back to that this guy in virginia doesn't seem to be the guy who has real mental health issues he had a friendship vacuum he didn't have anything in his life to anchor him he lost his job lost his way and if he had just had more friends if he had more people reaching out to him and and being there for him it would have been a different story but we're coming up on our last segment folks so we'll be right back Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So we've been talking this whole time about what causes people to do these shootings and what can be done about it. And, you know, if you want to get involved, if you want to you know, make some new friends and get involved in a community of people who are like-minded and have real goals and things that they're doing on a statewide level, the best organization you can possibly join would be GeorgiaCarry.org. Now, you can go to www.GeorgiaCarry.org and sign up on the top left-hand corner, click Join Now, and then for $20 a year or $500 for a lifetime, membership you'll start getting the emails that say you know what upcoming bills are what lawsuits are being filed what where help is needed and what you can do who to contact who to call who to email to help get meaningful legislation passed in the state of georgia on top of that if you don't have internet access or you just want to shake someone's hand when you hand over the 20 bucks cash 
Go to a gun show or go to any one of a number of festivals. I know GeorgiaCarry.org is working on being at the, the Canton Zombie Festival. There's festivals all over North Georgia. The North Georgia State Fair is usually a popular venue. There's all these places that you can go and sign up and, and get involved and meet some people. And if you don't make it out to a festival or fair, if you can't make it to a gun show statewide, if you don't want to go online, well, find a local chapter meeting because everywhere across Georgia from from North Georgia down to South Georgia and Macon and <coughs> all points in between, there are georgiacarry.org local chapters where you can meet up with people, have some good barbecue or a great lunch, have dinner with everybody, sit and chat and have a good time of fellowship, hear a good speaker and have a chance to get involved and get connected, talk to a board member and find out what's going on with the organization in your area. So these are all great opportunities. You need to be a member to, to partake in a lot of it, uh, to know what's going on, come out to a chapter meeting, get involved and get organized. So... We're up to the good, the bad, and the ugly this week, Jesse. And what do you got for us? Well, the good this week is kind of a slash bad. I am really at at a loss on on some of the news this week of of things that are developing in the world. And you, you know, you have one of those weeks where you just kind of shake your head. But the good is that Cabela's and Bass Pro are refusing the Democrats' Bush. A push to ignore the FBI rules when it comes to, to background checks. They want to slow down gun sales. So basically, the Democrats are wanting them to ignore the third three-day rule. Okay, so here, what this is, is that let's say that you do a background check and FBI puts you on a hold. You're on delay. They haven't said that you are denied. They haven't said you're approved. They just haven't said anything and you're on delay. Now, the law states that they have to get back to the FFL within three business days. That does not count the day that you applied for it, so you got three more business days. So if you go in and try to buy a gun on Friday, your third business day would be Wednesday, and you could pick it up next week, Thursday. So from Friday to Thursday next week is three days, right? Right. Right. So if they do not get back to them within the three business days, they are no longer responsible for holding the firearm and they can make the sale because the FBI did not tell them that this is a prohibited person. Okay, well, the Democrats are wanting them to hold the, the firearm up to up to 90 days until something is heard back. So basically, NICS didn't bring anything back instantly. We're waiting for information and we're going to let these people have 90 days to infringe on your gun rights before <coughs> you're able to buy a gun. I'm just going to go ahead and give them my social so I don't have to worry about it. Because that's usually what causes it, isn't it? The, well, you can give them your Georgia weapons carry license and get around the whole issue. But the the bigger issue here is it's, it's hard on the business. Because if I go and I try to buy a gun and I want to buy my gun, and then they turn on and they say, you, we, didn't get a hear, we didn't hear anything back from the federal government. And I say, well, I want to buy my gun they said well you're gonna have to wait 90 days i'm gonna take my business elsewhere i'll go someplace that abides by federal law and says that if you don't get an answer back in three days i can have my gun and so it's just going to hurt their business now i know that cabela's and bass pro and sportsman's warehouse don't really deal in guns right i mean that's not who their target market is so who possibly could they piss off law-abiding gun owners which is like all of their sales so i mean there's no upside for them to try to delay these sales they want to move product and they want to give it to people who have not been denied and if the government's going to deny them then get on the ball and deny them well the thing the democrats forget is and they want to cover it up and this is according to the fbi 
if there's a background check that cannot be completed within three days, the NICS section continues to search for the information necessary to make a final determination. And if that person is determined to be prohibited, NICS notifies the BATFE mm-hmm. and they go and recover any firearms such a person may have acquired. Yeah, what they'll do is they'll go out to the dealer and they'll say, do you still have it? And they'll say, no. And they'll say, well, we need the 4473, which lists the address of the person. Now, um, some gun stores even go a step further and record the phone number of the person so that they can make a phone contact with them if there are any problems later on. But they'll get the address and then they'll send someone out to the house to collect that firearm. And this is some more junk from Mom's Demand Action and Michael Bloomberg. So then our bad um, is Minnesota Appeals Court rules that the NFL can ban off-duty officers from carrying guns at stadium. Mm-hmm. However, the ruling may not be the final word. Minnesota is the only state in which the NFL's 2013 ban has faced a legal challenge. And it says the Minnesota Court of Appeals ruled Monday, that would have been, I guess, August the 24th, that the football league, NFL, can ban off-duty officers from bringing guns into stadiums on game day. But in sending the case back to Hennepin County District Court, the court also made it clear that it is leaving the door open for the ban to be overturned. Well, Hennepin County is uh, the county that the Metrodome was in. It's Minneapolis proper. It's uh, an urban area downtown, and they have even for Minnesota, fairly liberal judges. So uh, I don't think that it's any surprise that they would infringe on carry rights there at all. But the more interesting thing is that they're upholding individual property owners' rights to alienate their customers. So I guess, I I mean, this could be bad. It could be good depending on which side of that fence you fall on. If you're a private business owner and you want to alienate customers, then it's a great victory for you. And if you're someone who wants to defend yourself, then you've just been told, don't go to the games. Well, it says the league lost round one when Hennepin County Judge Avi Bernardson, Bernhardson, ruled that a 2003 state law called the Citizens Personal Protection Act requires the NFL to let off-duty officers carry handguns into games. The NFL had argued that the legislature didn't intend to require a private establishment to admit a peace officer or anyone else carrying a weapon. So then we've got the ugly. And the ugly this week is about South Carolina's gun control bills. And it says State Senator Marlon Kempson to introduce gun control legislation. Proposals include requiring registration, permitting, and banning assault weapons. And the effort follows Emanuel AME church shootings. It says a Charleston state senator says he will introduce gun control legislation in January in response to the recent gun violence in his home city. Well, I mean, uh, knee-jerk legislation is always a consequence, so here we go. So his proposals would close a three-day loophole to allow some South Carolina gun purchasers to buy and take home a gun before the background check has been completed. That rule and errors in a federal background checking system allowed Charleston shooter Dylan Roof buy a gun. That's the exact same thing we were just talking about, the three days. It would require background checks to be conducted through the state law enforcement division and the federal system before a gun (coughs) sale can be completed. It would ban assault weapons defined as semi-automatic firearms designed and configured for rapid fire. It would 
require reporting of lost or stolen guns. Wait, wait, let's back up a second here. What was that? They want to ban semi-automatic firearms designed and configured for rapid fire. So basically everything made after 1911 is going to be banned. Basically, this isn't going to fly. You know that whole part of the Second Amendment that says shall not be in French? You know, that's the only one of our rights in, in that document that says shall not be infringed. Yeah. They don't seem to... Do they know what that means? Can they read? I, I really think that, that some of these people that are running our government and making the laws just have no reading skills. You know what I'm going to do? Send them the Dick and Jane Primer. That'd be awesome. See Jane run. See spot follow. Anyway, it would require reporting of lost or stolen guns and require state registration and permitting on all guns. The proposals likely face an uphill fight in the legislature controlled by gun-friendly Republicans. You think so? Pro-gun groups have opposed aggressively efforts to restrict gun ownership while backing proposals to expand Second Amendment rights. And if it wasn't for Georgia Kerry, Georgia would be in the same position like, Likewise, sometimes. but for the grace of Georgia Kerry, so go we, huh? Right. So if, if you're not a member of Georgia Kerry and you're listening, you can become a member very easily, as my husband said a few minutes ago. Also, if you're listening online and you would like to listen on your local radio station, send an email to us and tell us what your local radio station is. You can contact your local radio station. Yeah, we would love out, to follow up on it. Reach out to their station manager. Find out who it is. Let us know who you contact, and we will follow up with them and get us on the air there for you. And... Uh, I have really enjoyed this discussion, even though it's been a very somber discussion. It's a little different than, you know, when we did the more jovial things or when we had Doug Craig on a couple of weeks ago. You know, that I just heard that he's announced he's going to be running for governor. I think that would be awesome. Do you think he's going to invite us to inauguration? I, I think that we could definitely get tickets to his inauguration if he won. So, folks, this has been the, another great week here. We hope to see you back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.